Before the start of this next episode, I wanted to thank you all for taking the time to listen, comment, share and give me feedback on this podcast, Protect and Serve. When I set out on this journey to create a new and fresh podcast on the lives of our men and women in policing, I would never have thought it would have received as much support as it has. My goal now is to get more and more people to support the show, so I in turn can support two incredible organisations, PTSD 999 and Trojan Wellbeing, both supporting men and women of our emergency services who are affected by mental health from the challenges they face in their professional lives. So please, if you haven't already, like, follow and share the show so we can all help those that help us when we need it most. It means so much to me and it means so much to them. Thank you. My name is Oliver Lawrence. I spent over 12 years as a police officer serving in some of the harshest environments Australia has to offer. Now working as a senior investigator, security intelligence and crisis management expert in London, I've had the chance to meet and speak with some of the brave men and women of law enforcement who found themselves at the front line of the world's most infamous investigations and global incidents. From the underworld of bikey gangs and the mafia to terrorist attacks of unthinkable magnitude. In this series, I'll sit down with these brave men and women to hear their first-hand accounts of these events and how they got there. Welcome to Protect and Serve. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. Killer Zelfadine Rezji has just entered the hotel grounds. He's looking for targets. The outcome in U.S. District Court today was not good for New Jersey boss Tony Pro Provenzano. Just how seriously the police are taking claims of abuse at the hands of Jimmy Savile came into sharp focus. In the U.K., police identifying the suspect who killed two people on London Bridge. Police say they are investigating a suspected connection with a radical Republican organization, the new IRA. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. Earth. and freedom will be defended well welcome to um another episode of protect and serve but a special one this year i suppose first of all it's really important to to wish everybody who's listened and downloaded this podcast over the past five six months a very merry christmas and a prosperous new year although as we record this today it's the 27th of december um, which ironically enough is my birthday but uh, wanted to, this is a kind of a series one wrap up of Protect and Serve. You know, we came up with this idea a number of months ago to interview and celebrate the lives of police officers right across the world um, and to, to really reflect on some of the amazing work they've done. But importantly, and I say importantly, um, although I am behind the microphone and I do an awful lot of talking and interviewing people, there is an amazing uh, group of people that sit behind me to allow me to do this and edit the um, the episodes to make them sound amazing, to produce the questions which sound uh, to make me sound articulate and very educated. Uh, so uh, joining me on the podcast this morning is my slightly younger than me brother, Jack. Jack, welcome to the podcast for the first time. It's a pleasure to, to finally get to, uh, you know, not, not be the, the, the man in the background and finally let my voice be heard. Well, Appreciate this- the... Uh, the invite. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. It's a, it's a pleasure You're welcome. to have you on, not just pushing the buttons and making us sound fantastic. So listen, let's reflect very quickly. Sadly, Robert can't join us this morning, but let's reflect on the last five or six months of podcasts. It's been an absolutely amazing journey. We've spoken to some brilliant people. 
And I think let's just start off with some highlights. For you, having sat through about 99.9% mm. of these interviews that we've carried out, mm. What f- More than once too, because it, 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 for those people listening while editing, I, I re-listen to the episodes again, so I get to hear them twice, which is fantastic. And uh, as someone who's not from this world, obviously you have a background in policing. I, I do not. Uh, so as someone who who is you know fresh ears and someone who doesn't understand a lot of this stuff, it's been fascinating. You know, all of the people we've had on have been truly fascinating uh, and had some incredible stories. But um, forty episodes, I think you know, need a round of applause, you know. For coming out with forty episodes, so uh, it's been it's been fun. And I think just very quickly, whilst you make that point in terms of a, it has been fun. And yes, we <coughs> have punched out forty episodes, one a week. I think the only one that we missed was when uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II died uh, at the mm. time of wanting to release one, and out of respect to her and the royal family, we decided to pull back for a week um, yeah. or a couple of days. But that, that gets us off to a good start because one of my highlights, you know, I love speaking to former senior officers and I love exploring their careers and the pressures and the stresses. And one of the great highlights for me was actually sitting down for an episode with Neil Basu, who at the time was the highest ranking ethnic minority officer in UK policing. Uh, he reached the rank of uh, uh, assistant commissioner. He was head of counterterrorism throughout the UK. He's the only officer to have sat through or, or to oversee all portfolios of CT work throughout the UK. Phenomenal experiences. I came back to the office on the Wednesday, had a briefing. On Thursday, I gave Mark Rowley's retirement speech in the fifth floor of the yard. And halfway through the speech, I get dragged out by Dean Hayden to a briefing on Salisbury. And that was the start of the Salisbury poisoning. The two individuals named by the police and CPS are officers from the Russian Military Intelligence Service. Today's announcement marks the most significant development in this investigation. We now have sufficient evidence to bring charges in relation to the attack on Sergei and Yulia Skripal in Salisbury. Within days, the scientists have a result. Sergei and Yulia Skripal have been poisoned by Novichok, a military-grade nerve agent invented and manufactured by the Soviet Union. Where we realised the true extent of what had happened. You know, a weapon of mass destruction the first chemical attack on British soil or any European soil since World War II. Um, still to this day, the largest counterterrorism investigation in history. He's now retired. I, you know, I, I had the absolute honour of having dinner with him 24 hours after retiring, kind of had a bit of a celebratory dinner for him. So that, for me, was probably in my top three of highlights. What about yourself? Yeah, and just on that, I mean, what a nice guy too. I mean, and for someone of his calibre and the the lofty heights in which he got to in his career, um, very, very nice gentleman and uh, also noticed on your LinkedIn especially. Amount, so the, the amount of comments about how, what a wonderful person he was to work sort of for, but, you know, in, in that capacity. Um, so that was good. For me, definitely one of the uh, episodes, which is a highlight, was Bruce Sackman who – Talked us through. I mean, it was it was a fascinating and terrifying at the same time. He talked us through the world of medical serial killers, which was just, um, as I said, fascinating, but also just incredibly terrifying as well. To to hear some of the stories from his career and and the people that he's had to deal with over his tenure uh, in in that field. Um, when we, as, as as you said, a typical crime scene like you see in a movie or my Colombo television show is um, there's usually a body right there, right? Yeah. And, and the lab boys are there and you have DNA and uh, forensics and, and, and this science and that science. 
But what is a typical hospital crime scene on a suspicious death? By the time uh, law enforcement comes, not only is there no body because the body has probably already been removed and buried, but the entire crime scene, if you will, has been scrubbed to surgical standards. So there's nothing there. Yeah. Unless, of course, you know where to look, which took me a number of years to learn. <laughs> but there's usually nothing there because even the, the feeding tubes and the lines and the other um, and, and the, the injections, they're, they're all gone. They're all thrown away. Bruce Sackman, you know, I, I, don't, well, I don't know whether we can call him, um, well, he's not Dr. Death, is he? But he's certainly the investigator who investigates Dr. Deaths. And, mm. you know, he reflected on like cases like Harold Shipman here in the UK and, you know, having murdered potentially over 300 people and talking about um, Dr. Swango, you know, taking in the donuts full of arsenic and then feeding it to his colleagues. And you think, stuff, yeah, terrifying my stuff. God, like, what is going on here? How on earth do you investigate all that stuff? And um, so one day he's he's in the, uh, in the office with his co-workers and he brings in some donuts for his co-workers. And he says, hey, guys, you know, you work so hard. Have some donuts on me. And they're eating donuts, and at night they all go home and they get deathly ill <clears throat> because he had sprinkled the donuts with arsenic. And then he calls them up and he says, tell me all the symptoms. Tell me everything that happened to you because this is an opportunity for him to relive the excitement of poisoning twice. Once when he actually sprinkles the arsenic on the donuts, but the second time is hearing how they suffered as a result of what he did. So, and, and not to mention the fact that he did sort of also highlight that uh, there could be many, likely that there is many, many more of these people out there among society that, uh, you know, because as he said, they're not very often reported. They're just shifted from one hospital to the, to the next, and which is just terrifying, but uh, also fascinating. So if anyone hasn't heard that episode, uh, that would definitely be one of the ones that I would highly recommend having a, having a listen to. Another one for me, uh, and I'll come on to my, I suppose, my most poignant one in a second, but another one for me, which was really important because it had such an impact, not only on UK policing, but on the UK community, was the investigation and the uncovering of the nefarious behaviour of Jimmy, of the likes of Jimmy Savile. You know, oh, Jimmy Savile, Gary Glitter and the Rolf Harris of this world. And sitting down with former Metropolitan Police Commander Peter Spindler and listening to his oversight over Operation Utree and that final completion of the of the of the manual booklet or the um the the voice you know the voice for victims you know the 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 report into what was quite terrifying behavior and really took us through a journey of how on earth we allowed or how did we not recognize more importantly this chap going through our lives committing all these terrible acts it was quite a hard-hitting one really but one which is still quite raw i think with the uk community one of our former colleagues who had moved into investigative journalism uh, had picked up on a number of stories about investigations into child sexual abuse by this individual Savile um, and ultimately a program was broadcast in 2012 actually almost exactly a decade on from now on ITV independent television uh, that then led to a very significant joint response from the 
British Police Service and the NSPCC, the National Society for Protection of Cruelty to Children. And it was a joint investigation into what had gone on. Now, if you have time to have a look at Netflix, there is a two-part documentary that describes and documents and illustrates the behaviour of Savile over three or four decades and looks at British society in particular that shows how someone like him, and it wasn't just him, but how someone like him got away with it um, and looks at the way our society was in the sort of 60s, 70s and 80s that allows somebody to exploit their position of power to abuse the vulnerable. That's what this was about. Yeah, and not only that, actually, you mentioning that, I was listening to a podcast in Australia the other day called Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie, and she had one of the victims of Rolf Harris, and she actually flew to the UK to be a part of um, his trial, and she mentioned by name uh, Operation Utree and how fantastic they all were in making her feel less of a victim and more, you know, more that she had a voice. Uh, and that, that she was believed because that was a, the big thing with these the, the people that were abused by men such as those um, they felt they would never be believed so yeah so it obviously from a victim's point of view as well that that operation U tree was uh, was a big success for them as well to be uh, to be heard and what impressed me the most about Peter in that interview specifically is he has achieved so much in his policing career in kind of what he's done in the in the world of safeguarding and investigations more generally but so humble in the sense that he always, without fail, recognises the men and women that he led who ultimately carried out that work day in and day out, day in and day out, and they still do to this very day. And I was just blown away by um, his sense of this is teamwork. You know, I might have been at the pointy end and the representative in front of the camera when they wanted to ask questions, but by George did I have an amazing bunch of people behind me. Any others that you can think of that um, stood oh, out? I mean, without a shadow of doubt, it's got to be Tony Long, um, the former firearms officer, uh, SO19 officer, who had just some incredible stories to tell. And, of course, as he t- talked us through, um, one of the first, not the first, but one of the first to be um, himself uh, arrested and charged with, with murder, obviously later qu- acquitted after a very lengthy battle to clear his name. Um, but, yeah, just such a raw, uh, honest interview um no holds barred on that one that's for sure it just absolutely had me captivated from start to finish um it's just some of the incredible things that that man uh that man did and went through um so yeah that, that was uh, and obviously you know for us chatting with him that was a three-hour conversation it was just um intense that's for sure i was going to say that out of all the episodes that we've recorded tony by far um was the longest one because of the detail and and kind of you know, trying to break down each incident that he was involved in, in terms of the firearms. And because we're, we're talking about a chap that came into the Met when, you know, in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, and was exposed to firearms in terms of when they really were a newish kind of uh, tactical option for policing. You know, so he's come in and ultimately throughout his career and leading, I think, 100 days prior to his retirement, is involved in his final police fatality, which, as you quite rightly pointed out, he was charged eventually with a homicide for Azel Rodney, um, but then acquitted. You know, quite an incredible story of um, resilience from an individual who went through so much. But equally, you know, we recognise that there are families that have gone through a terrible time in terms of losing a loved one. 
um, to a very traumatic incident, uh, whether regards they're the victims of crime or their sons, daughters, brothers, sisters have been shot by police equally. People like Tony are just doing their job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's, there's no winners in those situations whatsoever. The police don't want to shoot anyone, and and the families, as you said, lose lose a loved one. But yeah, I mean, and as you said, the detail from Tony, and I think that just shows the level of intensity when it comes to be, being a firearms expert officer. The, the 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 reaction time and having to assess a situation so quickly. He's obviously got all that recall, even after all these years, to just remember every ounce of detail in the stories he was telling us, like from, you know, the sounds the things were making and uh, the radio signals coming through. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, for me it was just a, I was captivated for the entire time listening listening to him talk. So it, it's a hostage situation, basically. And it was almost like a montage. It's Like I said, it's just frozen like a video on pause. And then some someone started shouting on police. And I found myself shouting on police. And it was almost as if the moment we started to shout on police, someone had pressed the play button on the video and everything yeah. started to move. And uh, the guy to my right, a guy called Mickey Flynn, believe it or not, he starts to turn and I immediately shot him. And I just worked on the premise that um, your brain is working at hyperspeed, you know, and, and it's, you're thinking of stuff that in an ordinary day-to-day -day situation, your brain couldn't compute that quickly. But I'm thinking, he's turning, so he's a threat. I know that the other guys are threats, if I wait to see if they surrender, but the others don't, then I'm confronted by someone who I'm trying to take the surrender from and I'm getting shot at. So I just fired a pair of shots at him as he turned. I don't remember seeing him fall because I immediately brought my gun to bear on, on a second suspect guy called Nicky Payne. Um, and I shot Nicky Payne twice. At that time, we were trained to fire double taps. Even um, in the Northolt siege, my first two shots were instinctively a pair, a bat, that quick. So my number one, and it's only because the story is just such a poignant one globally, and this chap is a very good friend of mine. I've been so lucky to meet him um, a few years ago, and we've remained close ever since. Is Obviously, we kicked off Series 1 with Wes Wong, and Wes was the ground commander on September 11th, 9-11, and uh, was trapped inside the South Tower when it came down with uh, several firefighters and there's that very poignant and, and I say famous image, probably the wrong words, but certainly image that sticks in my head of, of Wes carrying out Father Judge, who was the, the kind of the pastor, the, the minister for the fire brigade, who was victim number one. Victim number one, yeah. Yeah, and the stories, you know, where, taking away September 11th, just Wes's career, just again, like Tony, very detailed so much going on his undercover work with organized crime and the mafia in new york was just phenomenal and really was quite an emotional episode for me especially just to kick off protect and serve all of a sudden i see these little pencils of light so the firemen had had flashlights on their helmet and mm -hmm. i kind of just make out that so the chief realizes that nobody can see anybody so he yells out in the darkness everybody huddle up come to me I was standing so close to a fireman that I took literally one or two steps and I bumped into him. Could never saw him. He grabs me. I've never I've never met him. He's never met me. But he grabs me in the darkness and he goes, Don't let go of my bunker coat. You walk away. We may never find you. 
Yeah, and as someone who edited, who obviously editing that one, I had to search for a lot of audio um, on, uh, for for that episode from the actual event. And obviously, when that happened in two thousand two, you and I were both still both quite young in high school. Um, and so you obviously you, you remember it and you know about it, but you, I, I didn't realize, you know, I, I didn't, I've not obviously heard the extent of everything until I did the research for the episode itself and just listening back and, and watching. It was obviously you know a very intense thing to put together in the end. Um, and I know a number of people messaged me and were just like, dear Lord, that was just, you know, captivated. A friend of mine, Shane, actually messaged me. He said, I've just finished listening to the Wes, Wes Wong episode. He goes, I just, he said, I was just captivated the entire, he said, I couldn't get out of the car until it was finished because he was just, uh, yeah, it's an incredible story. So I think, you know, I'm so content that we've had some really amazing people come on the show, share their experiences, open up to us. Uh, and really take us through a journey of, of their careers in policing. And it, not only, I think some of them find it quite cathartic in terms of being able to get across, you know, what has been often this closet of stories, which I'm sure they'd love to get pen to paper. But I think the the ability to kind of talk through those moments has been, as I say, uh, you know, quite nice for them to do, and, and ultimately allows them to share that with their families and. Some families have reached out to some of these people that we've interviewed and said, listen, I never even knew some of the stuff that you've told Oliver on the podcast. So, you know, I'm very humbled to, to, to think that people have shared these very intimate stories with us. But importantly, Series 2 is just around the corner. Um, I have an amazing array of future law enforcement officers coming on. We've already got a bank of people that I'm starting to prep for interviews and there will be a couple of what I would consider to be global exclusives of people that have never spoken before that people will want to hear from and I know I'm incredibly excited at the opportunity of 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 going through some of the careers of some of what I consider to be some of the greatest police leaders of our time so um, some really exciting things coming up but equally what I wanted to do I couldn't have my younger brother on the podcast without giving his um very interesting look at crime and the people that allegedly commit it or have committed it in his podcast one minute remaining which is kind of on the flip of what we've been doing where he would have thought we'd become a true crime podcast family yeah yeah yeah. it's bizarre so you're interviewing the people that are behind bars that kind of my guests have put Mm, put in in there So we're looking at both yeah. different elements here. So just give us a quick one, two minute, uh, you know, kind of brief overview of one minute remaining. Uh, yeah, so very simple. Yeah, I speak with inmates, many uh, of them serving very lengthy prison sentences in the United States uh, for a range of different crimes from everything as simple as burglaries um, to attempted murder, arson and even murder itself. I'm sp- I've spoken to the youngest woman who was uh, placed on death row in Florida for murder. Uh, and as I say, it's uh, it's not a podcast where I'm trying to prove anyone innocent or guilty. Um, I'm purely allowing these men and women to tell their stories because uh, a lot of the time their stories are told by the media and it's very one-sided and we don't really get to hear from them. Um, a number of people I'm speaking with um, do claim that they're innocent of the crimes they've been com- um, charged of. Some just say that they're guilty but they've just been harshly dealt with. So it's, it's a wide range of different people and we, we go through their stories and I do a little bit of investigating into to each of their claims and their stories and, uh, yeah, we, it's uh, it's a fascinating insight into that side of, of, of crime, yeah. But am I right in saying, though, that, that you know, similar podcasts have actually or similar kind of 
methodologies of interviewing these people have resulted in people being freed yeah, absolutely. and their crimes actually being overturned. One of the most famous ones at the moment is Proof. Uh, it's a new podcast that came out recently. They, they got uh, the gentleman that they were talking about in this uh, podcast were released based off evidence that this um, particular podcast found. Of course, the most famous one is the serial podcast with Adnan Saeed, uh, a gentleman who was uh, accused of murdering his girlfriend. Um, he spent something like 30... Some, 30 something years i think it was 31 or 32 years in it behind um behind uh, b- uh behind bars uh and uh, yeah because of the serial podcast they found um new dna evidence that had uh, that ended up essentially quitting him uh, and he was freed so i mean I, obviously no pressure there at all um i'm not uh yeah, who knows i mean there's there's definitely one gentleman that i'm trying to help get out of prison he's not someone uh, who claims to be innocent but uh, he's serving a 100 year prison sentence for ridic- something minor so but yeah, there's there's a lot of podcasts that uh, that have helped help wrongfully convicted people because in the US, one in twenty people convicted of a crime are wrongfully convicted. So um, there's plenty of them. It's incredible, and you know we we talk about. I, I think you know the British legal system is one that is looked up to as one that's you know fair. You know the the the, the methods in which the police use here um, more broadly are you know ethical they they carry out their jobs to such a high standard but equally we all make mistakes and sometimes i think one of the biggest things is is the pressure gets to us and we start to create scenarios you know rather Mm -hmm. than allowing the evidence to take us to a conclusion which may be that Mm -hmm. the individual that we suspect of committing the offense is actually not guilty we don't want that outcome you know because we need to have somebody arrested for us there's pressure from politicians there's there's pressure from senior police officers there's pressures from victims of families etc etc yeah So yeah, no, there's a, a lot of that. You get to hear that a lot in the stories that I talk about, where they they always talk about, oh, there was a lot of pressure to get a result on this one, and um, so yeah, and I, uh, there's an attorney that I work with uh, on the show has also said that uh, he believes sometimes some detectives will fit the evidence around somebody as opposed to getting the evidence and and trying to you know find the person who did it. So yeah, it's, it, as you said, no one's got it perfect, um, but uh, it seems America is certainly can still be very much the wild west in some places. That's for sure. Well. I think um, that's a really, really interesting way to finish. So that's one minute remaining. Equally can be found through your Spotify's, your Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's currently, am I right, Jack, ranking number one in Australia for crime podcasts? Where's it ranking? Uh, it was ranking one number one this morning, but we've just been overtaken. So we're, I'll be number one on Spotify, though. So there you go. We've got a number one somewhere. Um, but, yes, so uh, but as you said, yeah, it can be found Spotify. Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, in fact. Yeah, no, and I would imagine that one of my 8,500 listeners will certainly want to hear the flip side of Mm. true crime. So, listen, tune in. Thanks very much. Listen, season two coming up, I think on behalf of myself, Jack, Robert, and the, the Protect and Serve podcast team, Thank you ever so much for downloading, listening, sharing, and you know, giving us some feedback on the podcast. It's been an amazing journey, one that I'm enjoying, and uh, looking forward to to bringing you some more episodes in the coming weeks and months ahead. Ditto to all of that. Protect and Serve is a Mash Pumpkin production, hosted by Oliver Lawrence. Research and questions by Oliver Lawrence and Robert Wynn Stanley. Produced, edited, and sound designed by Jack Lawrence. <laughs>